everyone. Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hey, Ima. Hello, how do you do? I'm Sadia's mother, and here is my co-host, Raven. Say Aww. hello, Raven, to everybody. Yes, she wants to feel included. It's always very important to feel included. Yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah, just recently watched the latest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mo- uh, uh, movie. It was pretty good. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was kind of like... What's it, what was it? Effie who made you, your older sister for one of your birthdays, made you a um, Teenage Mutant Ninja cake. Yeah. Like one of the teenage... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. It was funny. Um, the main uh, topic I wanted to talk to you about, and I sent you a message a couple of days ago, um, so you can have time to think about it, was what was your ideal thought of how you would have kids when you were younger? And did it change over time? And what was your like wish fulfillment that you wanted? To, what kind of like children you'd imagine yourself have or the bonding moments you would have with your children and whether that came true or it just, you know, didn't work the way you thought it would? <laughs> Does life ever work the way we think it's going to work? Which in a way... Not. In a way, it's good that it doesn't. You know what? Okay. How boring. How boring of a life would that be? It's every single thing turned out exactly the way you wanted it, exactly the way you imagined it. How boring. No surprises. Ah. <laughs> so, so, so please tell me. So what, what kind of children did you think you, you would have? Oh, beautiful, obedient Beautiful, obedient. <laughs> what 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 kind of experiences would you have with them, or did you imagine yourself like having like you know bonding moments? That's a good question. Ah, uh, never getting angry at them, never hitting them. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I think maybe if you accept that you're going to do that, maybe it'll change. Well, it'll well, be I, different. well, I remember one time I was discussing with, like I said, our generation was that bridge where we were. You know, we were coming away from the idea of disciplining kids by hitting them to mm. trying to work with other methods that were more positive. And that it was a bridge. It was a transition. It was a transitional generation, you might want to say. And so it was difficult in that we still had that mentality of, you know, smacking your kids. But we didn't like the idea and we were trying to get away from it. But as far as like having, I guess I told, I mentioned this before in our, our podcast that when friends of mine and myself went to therapists to try to work with our children better, all we got was a list of don't, 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 but no real skills to do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. And that was a very serious problem. Um, so I was remember discussing with one of my friends. I said, you know, I said, I don't believe in hitting my kids. I don't think it's good. I think there are better methods, but what? And she said to me, if you don't believe in hitting your kids, that means you're going to hit them just the right amount. You know, it's funny you say that because they're obviously nowadays, it's like smacking a kid is like the worst thing in the world. It's not even like back in the day where like you hit the kid. Okay, what? So what? Now it's just like, it's really like you can't hit your kids. But there's a lot more tools nowadays. Um, just skimming over and watching on Instagram, there's plenty of people voicing their opinion on how to raise kids. Some of them successful and logical, and it 
and you agree with and others don't make any sense at all. So you ignore, you know, but you take it with a grain of salt. But because of the Tower of Babel that is the Internet, the (laughs) whole concept of now everyone has a voice makes it a lot easier for you to, I would say, cherry pick an opinion to really figure out what you can and should do. But I like I like um I've been watching I understand these episodes are very very old, but I watch them anyway. Um, the Super Nanny with JoJo, the oh, British yes. Nanny. Yes, yeah. I remember that. She, the tool she gives these parents really good tools, the mm-hmm. techniques that she uses. The you know their um actual physical tools that the parents are using to create a more you know positive atmosphere in the house. I always wonder if like I'd watch it. I'd watch them now and see how well these episodes have aged, um, you know, just with the criteria and the knowledge that we know now and the mentality that we have nowadays, you know, like, it's, I, it's I, funny. And but... also, I also wonder how these kids um, turned out eventually. Yeah. These episodes, these, episodes, well, these episodes, how old are these episodes? 10 years, 20? What are they? You're looking at about oh. 20 years. 20. Yes, so these kids, were, I, I'm curious to see how all these kids, I would, it would be nice to see like interviews with these yeah. kids and now that they're in their twenties, what they thought of the techniques and how well did it work? And, um, you know, like how many of them are using the same techniques to raise their children? What was this called? Super nanny. Yeah. Yeah. So was- there was an article that came out uh, in February about all the kids that um, were grown up after uh, super nanny. So is it, so, unfortunately, some of them had like a ten-year prison sentence. Others, what were like single parents, like no. it didn't end up very well. Oh no! So that reinforces the old idea. Gonna get a smack. <laughs> it's just it, well, it's like. Oh no! <laughs> so it 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 depends. It depends. Uh. Um, it, there's there's this one one person. She's a 26 years old. She's into sports. Um, she has a TikTok, and she said, "Over the few years after Joe visited us, we grew up, and the dynamic changed in our family, and that made us behave better." Um, another scene which showed the child launching at nanny's Joe to slap her prompted a question from a fan if the moment was scripted, and they replied, "It wasn't scripted. It was them hitting." So some of them came out well. Some of them didn't. Didn't. It's very much. It's very, it's very interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll post it on the family WhatsApp. Well, um, I remember but... actually growing up the the okay the, some of the Jewish kids, you know yeah we got smacked whatever, but the the white Anglo kids you know the the non Jewish kids oh my gosh, they got it a lot worse than we did. They had to, one in particular method that was used by a lot of the you know non Jewish parents. They would force the kid to go into the backyard and pick a switch. Yeah, like yes. yeah. Which what they wanted to be hit with, and one of my Goisha friends said, uh, "Many years ago, this is a Goisha woman who grew up like that, with the switch." Yeah. And she said, at first she would pick a small thin stick, and then she realized that was a lot worse than picking a bigger, thicker stick. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, like, like being sent to bed without any supper. Um, Jewish parents never did that. Jewish parents. Um, it's not a Jewish thing to punish with food. Jewish parents, yeah. uh, when I was growing up, my mother always said, you know, never, you know, Jewish parents never send their kids to bed without any supper. No, 
that was not a Jewish but i i don't don't know because i mean i'm thinking of like the way i grew up and the way other people like other friends of mine grew up Mm -hmm. and i think i think in the 90s it was a slow burn of sitting down and talking to your kids and i remember as a as a kid being disciplined and felt that if my parents just talked to me i could have a conversation and i felt very frustrated how (laughs) parents and adults treated teenagers and kids as if they were imbeciles and as if they were incompetent and even though they might have been immature i think they I think children are pretty competent when you give them the right opportunities and the good tools. But it's just again, I'm just... I don't think I that. Well, it's like this: it's like when you're trying to, when you're trying to go ahead and, you know, talk about the the homework that we did, and explaining what to do. You know, repeating yourself, even though the kid seems frustrated and they're burnt out and they're at their limit and you still push them past their limit. Then they have a hissy fit. Then there's crying. Then there's a fight. Then there's a kid like, you know, going to sleep, sleep exhausted. Like, OK, something isn't working. You may might have to reevaluate. So, like, the homework has to get done. But let's try not to have a total chaos um in the household but i don't this is me talking with like zero experience uh, as a parent so i don't know what's going to happen get your turn. i'll get my turn all right i'll get my turn all right i don't know if what's well, i remember one uh, technique i used with your brother where he he um sometimes would be very stubborn about not wanting yeah. to do his homework very stubborn for no reason because very smart kid we talked about and, this i think once yeah to show my bones I I I think so. <laughs> I... Well, we've got some new listeners who want to hear about this. But sure. if anybody's having trouble with your kid with your homework, if you have any D, any uh, DVDs or you have any MRI film or anything like that or X-rays, tell your kid if they if he or she does her homework, you will show them your bones and like oh, yeah. yeah. And you show them after they do their homework, you show them the X-ray or the DVD. They're gonna love that. Yeah, kids are. It, I think no, it's funny when you look at like. But fun. <laughs> yeah, um, it. Well, it's 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 with children find a lot of adult mundane things like fascinating. You know, I remember like going only like one time, but like going to Tati's office back in the day as a kid and found it so cool and fascinating. Um, yeah, but I remember. I think I was you know. with you. I think I was with you guys. You went down yeah. there. I think was a piece of homework or something, or one day where there was um. It was like uh, your father had to pick up something at the office or something. We all went down Probably. to see it. That was that was that was Probably. fascinating. Was insane. I got to meet some of the people. There was one time that your father brought a couple of his coworkers over for dinner, and I was on spilkas because I thought, oh, no, I don't want these coworkers to come and say, oh, Zaman's wife is so horrible. She doesn't know how to cook and she's so ugly. So I yeah, I, I straightened up the house. I cleaned the house. I made a really really nice dinner, and then I put on a shade and I got dressed up nicely and. Um, they came and um, they they had a great time. And I confessed to one of them. I said, you know, I was really nervous. I told them I was really nervous. And I told her I said I was nervous because I, I didn't want you guys going back to the office and telling people how horrible I felt. Like, they cracked up laughing. Cute. Yeah. Did, what, I mean, I, out of curiosity, what did you find fascinating growing up as a kid that, like, looking back now is very mundane and ordinary? 
mundane and ordinary. Hmm. Yeah, like I'll give dead, you an the example: dead, the, the dead chickens. <laughs> the dead chickens. Oh God! I think we went through that about the dead chickens. I think we did. We talked about this a while ago. Yeah. We talked. About yeah, because my chickens. father. For those who are new listeners, my father was in the fruit and poultry biz, fruit vegetables and poultry business, and so in those days, you actually would go to the Schechting house um, where they had live chickens and you would pick up the chickens you wanted and the chef would check them and they would put it to a flicking machine and then um, they would give it back to you. Would give These chickens would be given back to the, to the dealers totally intact, no feathers though, and the, the head and everything. The mm. head was totally intact. And my mother would be the one who would take orders from the customers who wanted them like cut in eighths, cut in quarters, whole, whatever, and she would clean them and kosher. This was before and the stores started actually cleaning and koshering the chickens for you. Mm. You either did it yourself or you had some man like my father who, you know, this was his business and um, my mother would help him in the business by, you know, cleaning and cutting the chickens, you know, um, custom, you know, whoever, however the customer wanted them. So um, Aunt Judy for a joke, sometimes when these chickens were there, before my mother got a got a chance to get you know to um cut them and clean them she and i would, and i think aunt dan would take the dead chickens and hold up the hold up the whole chicken while holding the head and we would run with them across the living room floor we'd call it the dead chicken races how old were you i think i was uh i had to be 11 or 12 or maybe 13 <laughs> that's funny um no i, I was talking when I was a kid, I found it, I found clothespins fascinating because if you look at it one oh, way, they could be like little people. I heard this this one of the one of the um, morning news people for Joe mm -hmm. got on the air like early in the morning, and he started to say that he bought the other day he bought an ecology friendly um, an ecology friendly clothes dryer, and the other person oh, yeah. ecology friendly he said yeah he says. Ecology friendly. It says and it works by. He says it works by wind energy, and it's real. And he goes, "Yeah." And it came with clothespins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know something? I told this to one of the young teachers, like in her twenties, who works at you know the school where I work. She didn't get it at first. Oh. Um, she didn't know what even clothespins were. I mean. <laughs> I mean, this generation with everything in the drain, they didn't even know. She had no idea a clothesline with clothespins. She'd never seen it in her life. Well, it's funny because there's still like, like uh, on my street, there's like in the backyards of, of a lot of houses, there's clothespin lines that are still there from like the 1940s that when it was put in. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, that's actually it's 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 funny because I was a kid, I used to play around with the clothespin lines and pretend like I'm a tightrope walker because i walk on the fence and then i hold on <laughs> to the clothespin line and then like try to like keep everything together did you do anything like that like anything like with your imagination and what you pretend to, to like play with when i was very little i remember i must have been like three or four years old my parents got me a um a hobby horse hobby okay. horse is like you know um it it was a wooden horse on springs and you sat on it, went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it was on springs. So it, you know, it would bounce back and forth and back and forth. So I wanted to get the feel 
that I was on a real horse, like high up on a real horse, this little hobby horse. So I remember picking up this hobby horse, putting it on my mother's dining room table, climbing up and then sitting on the hobby horse and riding it back and forth and back and forth on my mother's dining room table. Did you leave any marks? Was your mother upset? I don't know. I don't know. She wasn't. That's funny. I don't think I don't think I left any marks on the furniture. I'm sure she had a tablecloth on there, like a thick oh, table. Okay, fine. You know, I don't think I left any marks. Um, I remember um, as a young kid playing nurse, but my mother gave me one of my old, my father's like old white shirts, uh-huh. for like a nursing uniform. And she took a napkin and she folded the napkin and pinned it on my hair, so it looked like a nursing cap. Very cute. Mm-hmm. Very cute. When I so played nurse. nurse. And then um, there was this one outfit I had. It was black pants and a black top. And I had, my parents gave me some sort of like, I don't know, maybe maybe for Halloween, I wanted to be a pilgrim. So I dressed up in the, um, and they they bought me a rifle. They bought me a rifle and they bought me a pilgrim hat. Mm -hmm. So, and I had the black top and the black pants. And I remember, um, I even liked to put it on and walk around with it, even though it wasn't Halloween. I remember one of my sister's friends looking at me and saying to my sister, hey, she was just like a pilgrim. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because it's like, I guess also, you know, I know I've been talking about this stuff lately and we've had this conversation before about like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But did your parents ever do anything for Sukkot? No, not really. No, we didn't. Um, in Baltimore in those days, the only people that had sukkahs were the from people. No, the in fact the, the non-religious people didn't really do anything with sukkah with sukkahs. Um I remember my mother though, um observe we I remember us observing it like a like a yanta, like we didn't go to school for the first mm-hmm. few days of sukkahs. We didn't go to school the last two days of sukkahs. But the ins and outs and mentioning a little Vanessa and having a sukkah, no, we never did that. Now, the show where we attended, Beth the Fella, had this big, beautiful sukkah. And so, you know, we, we went there for, um, I remember us going there for, for, I don't know if it was Halmoid, I don't know, if it, I think it might have been Yantuf. Yeah, I remember going there for Yantuf. We went to show, we did go to show. I remember going to the sukkah for the Kiddush afterwards that I do remember. Um, and I remember Simplest Torah. Um, I didn't know Simplest Torah was a real, real yuntif. I thought it was like a chag, like Purim. So my mother would give us, it was a custom where the parents would give their children apples. And mm. when you got to show you had your choice, they would pass out flags. You had for the, for the, for making, for the children's congregation, making hakafas with a little, with a little Torah. Um, you had your choice when you got to show of either an American flag or an Israeli flag. And then you took the apple that your parents gave you and you stuck it on top of the flag. I don't know why, but you stuck the apple on top of the flag and you would parade around the show. Usually they would pick like, usually a little boy was usually picked um, to carry, not a real safer Torah, but they had one of these little, like little Torahs, yeah, real teeny little Torahs, small Torahs. And I remember, I remember the rabbi giving the Torah to this little boy and we were standing behind him and we all paraded around, you know, the show with this little boy carrying this little Torah with our flags and apples. And I remember one time my mother giving me the apple before I left the house 
I'm sitting in the kitchen and I unconsciously ate it. I look and I see the apple core in my hand. I'm going to start to cry. So my mother says, here's another apple. She's giving me another apple. So we get in the car and we go to show and I get to show and I've got an apple core in my hand. (laughs) 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 Oh God, that's funny. Uh, it's I, I think what's funny is I remember as a kid looking at pictures uh, uh, and like cartoons of Simcha's Torah with people having apples on top of their their um, flags. I never did it, but I do remember that. I mean, now um, I'm going to God willing, I for the past couple of years, I've been going to um, uh, my my sister's all the way up in uh, in New York. And basically, like their their Chabad house there, like throws a huge Sukkot Torah, you know, uh, 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 get together, and it's just it's fantastic. The kids like love it, and it's just it it reminds me of like old school, um, base Lubavitch back in the day, because mm-hmm. there's more, I guess there's just just more liveliness. Um, I haven't been I've been to base Lubavitch Sukkot Torah for a while. But um, I went to Kaparis, um, finally. I haven't gone to Kaparis in years. And it's interesting because it's all the way out in Colombia. And um, all the uh, all, everybody comes in. And because the Chabad house, is, the Labavitch community in Baltimore has grown so much that that's really kind of what's happened, where everyone just come to Colombia. Um, but I have a question actually about Kaparis. Did you know about that when you were younger, or did you find out about that when you got older? I found out about that after I became from. What I never knew thoughts? about it. Never knew about it. Um, I didn't think too much about it. It was like, okay, if this is what's expected, me, this is what's expected. Me, actually, the first, the first time I did Kapars, I was in Crown Heights, and I got together. I was, I was, I had a car, and um, mo- hardly anybody, you know, hardly any of my friends had cars mm. in New York. So, um, I remember I had a car load of friends, and um. Uh, we drove down in Williamsburg to a Schechting house in Williamsburg. Um, also, oh, the very first one, the very that was the second one. The very first one was I was living with the, and I was renting uh, the basement in Rabbi Bugamilski's house, Rabbi Bugamilski, who wrote the Dibar Tavam. Um, I rented their basement apartment the first year I was there. Very wonderful people. Wonderful mm-hmm. people. They, they really took me in hand. They really um, helped me to make the transition to, you know, to from kite. And so um, we woke up, uh, they, we woke up, I woke up very early in the morning and went with them to the shechting house. And this particular chef that I saw, the way he shechted the chickens was excellent. I've heard stories from other people who have gone to shechting houses who said, or seen people shechting who really didn't know what they were doing. Um, but my exposure to this, to actual shechting was very positive. Um, I couldn't get over the, the whoever the chef, the chef was, boy, he was very medoctic, extremely medoctic, the way he handled the chickens, the way he handled the chef, he was constantly checking that chef knife, constantly. Mm-hmm. And he would take the chickens, and the way he would handle the chickens, they were so calm, were so quiet, and he very gingerly divide, you know, spread their feathers on their neck, and it was boom. He did like split second, then he put them in this bucket that had this cone on top so that the chicken was upside down and would bleed quickly into yeah. this bucket 
and it was like it was like nothing. I mean, I mean, not nothing, but you know what I mean. It was like so. Peaceful. Yeah, I know. It was, it was peaceful. He was excellent. Yeah, that's why for a while, my that's for a for a while. Um, I didn't like the Kaparis because the people who were handling it at the time were aggressive and ignorant and didn't know what they were doing, and it kind of bothered yeah. me. But this year, I it, I just got to a mood of like, you know what? I want to go ahead and do a chicken. I'm tired of doing money. It's kind of boring. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of lame. I want to do a chicken. I want to have that experience. So they charge like 50 bucks uh, for Caparos. Um, wow. But but uh-huh. but it's, un- it's not per chicken. It's in total, uh-huh. whether you have oh. a lot of kids or not. So it's like for the singles or the newlyweds or the small families, it's mm-hmm. not that much of a bargain. But when you have the large families of 10, mm-hmm. 20 kids, it's a lot cheaper just to give a $50 flat fee. So oh, yeah. in a way, it's kind of communal where it's like I covered for like a bunch of other people, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was nice. But I noticed people were wearing gloves. And I'm like, I never wore gloves. And I just like picked up the chicken and did the whole caparis and yeah. like did whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't need to like, I don't need to go ahead and, and, and do gloves. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess they have but, their reasons. Who knows? Maybe, um, I don't know. Salmonella, health-wise. <laughs> There's, See, what, there's plenty wash, of remember, yeah. We always wash our hands immediately afterwards. Yeah, yeah you wash your hands. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was kind of this one woman was like was like yeah, there you go. You know, grab like a man. I'm like okay. <laughs> um, so I guess I, I, find, I, I, find, I, I, I find I find with the you know the doing it with a chicken for some reason it's much more meaningful. This is a live creature. Yeah, that is basically taking all your aver it's like you know we don't have the base of mikdash mm-hmm. and how nice it would be to actually see you know to have real korbanos and real and have that kavana but it's the closest thing to it right now yeah. and um it's, it's just it makes it a lot more meaningful also the way people handle it well me being raised you know around chickens um i knew better you know i knew how to raise them so that it's not i had to pick them up so that um, it's not painful, and also they run, they won't run away. But you know, you saw, yeah. you seen how I've done it, where uh, one hand goes, you know, by their feet. I hold by I hold their feet with one hand. The other hand, I have I'm holding their wings. Uh, I'm holding them. I don't hold them by the wings. The other hand holds them from the top, holding the wings down, and yeah. then I pick them up that way. That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And um, um, it, I was surprised at how many women. There was one time I saw this one woman there who her husband was trying to show Kapoorus with her. And she was screaming for a woman. It was, I don't know. Screaming. I don't know like people, she started screaming every time her husband brought the chicken over. She, could, she just screamed. And then finally her husband said, you know what? I give up. And he just walked, he just walked away with the chicken and did it himself yeah. and did it with the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's what you get when you have tons of anxiety that hasn't been addressed by a therapist. But um... I, what I think it is, I think, I think that um, we Americans, maybe we Jews, have become too urbanized. You know what I mean? Maybe we, when when we have, I've seen a lot of people that have never in their life had experience with any type of farm animal whatsoever, and they freak out. I mean, they see this. They see this animal. It's this creature, and it's alive. And they just ah. Well, I <laughs> think that's why. I don't know how to deal with that. 
Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, they, they talk about the idea of Judaism, of why it's so important to practice Judaism in a community, in a city, because it's easier to do it like on a farm away from everybody on some level where you're away from other external influences and it's easier to hold your own and hold on to your ideology when it's not being attacked every every day but when you have yidden living in an urban setting it really makes it makes uh, an impact and what's funny was i was listening to a podcast like a couple of weeks ago and these two comedians were joking around because one guy was jewish the other guy was i think greek or italian and he the greek guy was saying like you know it's very it's amazing that like you know you have to be liberal when you live in a city because you're dealing with so many diverse people but it's amazing how strongly you know the, the Hasidim in Williamsburg hold on to their identity when right next to them is like the left of Lenin you know person with like all sorts of piercings and dyed hair and right next to them is a Hasid you know the black you know white shirt black pants you know spudik whatever you want to call it like wh whatever they're wearing for the day you know Hasidim and it's just and like a, a non-Jewish person noticed that and pointed that out and I always find that very fascinating um when I was in Crown Heights in the 1970s, the United States government sent some sociologists to Crown Heights to research why it was that in an, in an area, in a neighborhood, which at that time was considered a very high crime, that the Lubavitcher Hasidim were involved in none of it. And how was it that they were able to raise families and not be affected by any of this, you know, like I said, high crime that was going on around them. The conclusion of the sociologists, I understand by a friend of mine who lived in Crown Heights at the time, she um, heard about the study and she said their conclusion was the Torah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah, Torah. But, but you know what? Adherence to the Torah is what kept, um, what, what kept the, you know, these Hasidim free of, you know, the atmosphere that they were living in and it's, unaffected, it's... unaffected by it. It's it, it, the thing is it's it's Torah in itself when the people that are guarding that Torah know the truth it holds because everybody knows don't kill don't steal don't rob don't commit adultery don't have set courts things like that but there's a level of conviction that you know you want to say that you didn't have that they they make it such a strong reality of no this is something you, this is real this isn't you know just some maybe thought that we can question ever so often this is this is a you know you do not do this you you are keep this together because there's plenty of other communities that have spiritual leaders you know and have religious you know religious buildings and religious you know affiliations and there's still you know problems um but i was what i was trying to say beforehand was i was talking about like the yom the yom kipper of when i was growing up where we would see the chickens get shechted because this time we didn't see the chickens get shechted um mm -hmm. but i think it's very important to see how an animal gets killed and then understand the importance of life being taken away and then using it for sustenance. There's definitely like a strong point to be made to 
make that feel like a precious moment. Um, and that's why brachos are so important. Uh, because a lot of people, they just take things for granted. But you take someone, you show them a chicken, and then you show it get slaughtered, and you pluck the chickens and things like that, you know, like our neighbors back in the day. Oh, yeah. um, I think we talked about this in one other episode. Yeah, right, but like, yeah. But uh-huh. that was something where, like, it really is a strong, like, sense of reality that you have to face. Mm-hmm. Well, there was, um. did we ever talk about carp in the tub? Yes, we did multiple yeah, times. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's but it's it's true though. You should have this understanding of like this is a this is a living creature that we are killing for for food. Well, I was um, remember one time I was talking to somebody about how far we Jews have come from being an agrarian people, and that you know we're too urbanized. And I remember a friend of mine saying that biblically, biblically, we Jews. Uh, were a tremendous agrarian people. Mm. And you look at so many of our mitzvahs. We have so many mitzvahs yeah. that, are, that are connected to agrarianism, to, you know, farming and, and harvesting and raising, you know, raising crops and animals and everything. And he said, uh, he also agreed, he said it was re- it's really sad that um, in a way that we've come away from that. Yeah. Unless you, unless you live in uh, Moshav in Israel or a kibbutz in Israel. Well, again, that's the whole point, is that like in an agricultural society, you definitely have a better feeling of what's going on. But due to the Industrial Revolution and everything else, that things kind of shifted and changed. Um, By the way, but... I met a very interesting woman today. There's a teacher in our school who was telling me and my coworkers about her mother, that her mother... Um, lives in Arizona, and her her mother's one of these people who, she's like a back to the land type person, yeah. from Jewish woman, and her mother has her own little farm in Arizona. And she was telling us that her we're talking about Kaporis, and she says her mother raises chickens, has some goats. She has like a whole little farm there in Arizona, which I think is I think is is amazing. I mean, to you know, for someone to take it on themselves to want to live that kind of lifestyle, it's it's wonderful actually. I have a random question, total side note. Are you familiar with like any AI that you use throughout your uh, day? No? Uh, what's AI? <laughs> An artificial oh. intelligence, I know, but yes. I keep on hearing this AI, AI, but what exactly is it? So, what exactly is it? Is it I mean, the computer in general. It's supposed to be artificial intelligence. So when they talk about AI, are they talking about computer computermation, like in the movie Forrest I'll give you Gump an example. Like that? I'll give you an example. You know, people have to construct all these emails at work, right? And mm-hmm. they have to think about how to make their emails and whatnot. What you could do is you go on ChatGBT, which is a program, and you type in, you prompt it to write you an email of basically what you're of what you're trying to say. Very very basically and then it gives you like a nice elaborate cut like cut piece of something you need and so there's a lot of parts of artificial intelligence that is cutting out a lot of middlemen a lot of you know things in the arts definitely um you know it's it's just it's it's a tool that people haven't harnessed fully yet but they're getting there where it's definitely making something happen where you 
you need less and less of a, of a person's effort. And well, I was curious. I mean, to... Yeah, I see that now. I mean, look how many times you get, you know, you get, uh, you know, you call an office and you get like this ro robot or something, you know, asking you for your information. Um, or, yeah. you know, you get, a, you get a call from somebody and it's, um, you know, it's, it's basically, it's like I said, it's a robot. I think so. That's, is that AI? Is that what they're talking yeah, about now? Yeah, that could be, that's, that's part of AI. I was curious to see if you've ever looked into it or been wondering what it was. Well, I don't, I haven't used it myself. I haven't had an occasion to use it. Um, all I know is what I've heard about it and what I've seen, you know, in different, uh, you know, like, um, what's it? Uh, the what's the what's the guy scammer scammer payback? They were talking oh, about oh. there was a small segment that talked about AI, and the young man at the end of his his spot about AI says, "If you don't know what AI is, I'm using it now." In other words, you thought you were talking, you thought this guy was putting on a presentation, and you find out no, that he put together this thing with his. With a video, his with the he took a video, and he had he didn't record his voice. He had something else recording it, and it was actually it was actually AI. It wasn't really him. Yeah, yeah, that I've seen that. This. I've seen that where this there's this person that like did this whole had this whole uh, Instagram and TikTok, and you think it's some random teenage guy or adult guy, and really it's just this young girl who like works. It works in IT, I think. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably ruining it, but something like that, where it's like you, like it's it's amazing what people can do nowadays and how far it's going to get us. Because I think of like, because I really think about emails and how long it takes to really construct an email, and then this just pumps out a nice, good, tight email in like three seconds. That would take you like probably maybe like five ten minutes but you add those emails up in this world it basically makes things go a lot faster a lot quicker you know it's technology is going to go faster and faster and faster where it's like and i've mentioned this before where you know what you think is technologically advanced today literally mm -hmm. in a year will be obsolete right yeah um well, i remember when i was a little girl in the 1950s and early 60s, that's when a lot of this technology started to take off. And so the mm. question came up with, um, will machines take over the world? Will machines take over the world? And I, when I was a little girl, I remember one time asking my mother that question, will machines take over the world? And my mother said, no, because you will always need human beings to run the machines. I mean, uh, you're, yeah. you're going to need tech, you're going to need people behind all this technology that's especially going to Going to run this, that's that's going to run this technology, but I remember um, if you look up in the annals of history, there was a very very dangerous situation. Um, I forgot when it was. I think in the eighties or something, where a computer. Well, there was a movie many years ago called Failsafe, mm -hmm. where the United States and Russia. You have like less than a minute war. left, by the way. Oh, so anyway, um, so what happens? The computer something went with the computer where they thought that there was an actual attack that the Russians had launched. And instead of launching an attack back, they decided, no, let's wait and see. Maybe this is a mistake. And true, it turned out to be a total mistake. So some man, some artist did a political cartoon where it shows all this destruction and it shows in the middle of all the destruction a computer and on the computer is a sign that's
Thank you for listening to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. Please comment and subscribe on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, and Instagram. I would greatly appreciate it, and my mother would too.